Well, good morning. It's a, another great opportunity for us to be together and to study the Word of God as a church. I'll ask you as we begin just to bow with me for a word of prayer as we ask God to attend to our time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just this opportunity. Lord, as unconventional as it seems to be for us as churches, for us as a family of God, we know that you providentially have allowed it. And so here we are using whatever means necessary where we can gather and we can worship you through the study of your word. I pray that we are doing that this morning, that our our hearts are ready, that our scriptures are with us, that we are ready to see what your word has for us this morning, that we can uh, continue to live for you in the midst of these days. These are exciting days in many, many ways because you are causing people to contemplate their mortality and the reality of life. And so we as believers have opportunities that we would not have in other times. We are hearing from family members and friends and people from across the country who wonder about things and we can we can be able to tell them about our great Savior, Jesus Christ. So attend to our time this morning as we think through your word, as we hear from you. Lord, illumine our hearts and our minds by uh, your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll ask you this morning, if you would, take your Bibles with me and open them to our study of Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. We are returning this morning to where we left off last Lord's Day in this final section of Paul's words in chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles open to that portion of Scripture, follow along as I read for us, beginning in verse 11 down through verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, and do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness Put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. If I were to ask you this morning about what motivates you in life, I wonder what your response might be. You you might say that an offer of a large sum of money would motivate you to some kind of action in your life. Someone comes along and says, I will give you this amount of money if you will do 
certain things, and you might be motivated by that kind of thing. Some of you might even say that the idea of not doing anything, having the ability to just do nothing might be what motivates you. Others might say that the anticipation of some coming, some pre-planned moment is what motivates you. Maybe a pre-planned vacation, maybe a pre-planned time with long-time friends who you have not seen would motivate you to continue on. But I dare say that any would say that knowing the unknown, knowing the unknown is what motivates you to action in your life. Now, that may seem somewhat confusing in just what I said and how I said it, but that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying to us in this section in Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. This is the ultimate motivator, in fact. It is the ultimate, made, ultimate motivator for our living as Christians, and that is knowing the unknown. That is what is to motivate us. You remember that we have been studying over several months this whole reality of Christian conduct. We have spent months looking at this doctrine of sanctification. That's really what we're talking about, the the life of Christianity as it is lived in the practical day by day. Sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ each and every day as we live out the things that God has commanded of us. This is the reality of Christian living, and we saw that beginning really in earnest back in chapter 12. Ever since the beginning of chapter 12, we have been hearing over and over again about the practical ways that we as Christians are to be conducting our life, how we are to be living. You remember we heard in chapter 12 and verse 1 that in in light of our understanding of this miraculous and unfathomable mercy and grace of God that He has just showered upon us through salvation that He has granted to us by means of offering His Son, Jesus Christ, as our uh, sacrifice, as a sacrifice in our place, and thereby imputing His righteousness to us, we are, God says, to present ourselves to Him as living sacrifices. That's what chapter 12 and verse 1 says. In other words, by way of simply review for us to continually live in every way. It doesn't matter what's going on. We are to live in every way as one who is offering themselves to the the implementation, the the doing, the the action of the will of God in our lives. In a nutshell, we are to live lives that are different in every way. That's the whole idea of holy. We are holy sacrifices to God. We are set-apart sacrifices. We are different in every way. We are a life that is pleasing to God. One that is living out His will, as it says, is 
perfect, acceptable, good, that which is his will, glorifying God, reflecting his very character through the very words and deeds of our lives, and that transformation, as you remember, will come as we have our minds renovated by his word. Now, that simply means that we will not live out. In fact, we cannot, as I said last week, we cannot live out that which we do not know. We cannot live out that which we do not know. We have to know what God requires so that we can live as God requires. And that means that we need to have our thinking changed. How we think needs to change. We need to think with the mind of Christ. Our thinking needs to be renovated so that our actions will be renovated and new. And when that happens in and with us, we will begin in our lives to see the living out of the will of God in every place. But what is it, the question I have for us this morning is, what is it that is to be the ultimate motivator for us to do that? What is it to be the ultimate motivator for us to live in that way? And I believe, beloved, that the ultimate motivator is exactly what the Apostle Paul is speaking about here in this final section in Romans chapter 13. Because we are reminded of it here, and we were reminded of it as we spent time here last Lord's Day. The great motivator for Christian behavior is a doctrine that oftentimes, and sadly, we have relegated to a secondary place. It is the doctrine of eschatology, the doctrine of last things. You remember what the Apostle Paul says in verse 11, do this knowing the time. Do this knowing the time. Now, I don't want to rehash all that we said last time we were here. You can look that up online. You can hear it for yourself, and you can go through those notes again. But what I do want to say is this. One of the most important things that we need to remember about the time that Paul is referring to here, is that we are living in the final time before Christ's return. That's the thing we have to remember about this time that Paul is referring to here. We are living in the final time before Christ's return. In other words, we know the unknown. We know the unknown. I hope you understand that. I, I certainly don't know what kind of books you own that have to do with biblical prophecy. I don't know what kind of books you've read or what kind of movies you've watched, what kind of TV shows you may have watched that seemingly deal with prophecy. I don't know how many times you've heard some prophecy guru speak and say that they know the exact date and the exact time when Christ will come back. But I'm here to tell you this morning that no one knows that information. 
no one knows that information. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor? How do you know no one knows? Because that's what the Bible tells us. Mark chapter 13, Jesus said this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But to that day or hour, no one knows. He's speaking to his disciples. He's about to uh, depart the earth after uh, once he dies and is risen from the dead. And he tells his disciples, because they're concerned about when's this time going to come. And Jesus says, listen, you don't have to worry about all of those things, but you need to know this. My word will never pass away, but the hour and the day, no one knows. Get this, not even the angels, nor the son, but the father alone. So anytime someone comes along in our day and age and through some books, through some movie, through some documentary, through some kind of sense like that and tries to say, I know the time, I know the day, do this because Christ is returning on this day at this time, you know that's wrong. Because the Bible says, no one knows but the Father alone. So listen, it doesn't matter who tells you that they know, they don't. It's a lie. No one knows. And so we must think of time and the time in which we are living, as we said last week, not on a linear plane, not on a linear history, which is all of those predictions. That's how they come from. They're, they're linear. They think they, they work out in that kind of way. We must not think like that. We must think from a redemptive perspective. Or, or as I said last Lord's Day, from God's ultimate plan perspective. We're not to think of our time and the time we're in in some kind of linear history perspective. That's how the world looks at time. That's how the world sees its days. That's the only way the unsaved world can look at time. Why? Because they don't believe. They don't believe upon Jesus Christ. They talk a lot about God. We hear it, in fact, heightened even more so in the days that we are in, especially in this week and coming to next Sunday, which would be Easter Sunday. We hear a lot of talk about God. We hear a lot of talk about them knowing God, but they don't believe. They don't know the redemptive saving plan of God. They have no redemptive saving relationship with God like you and I do. And so the world lives in light of linear history. That which is bad from history, they want to avoid it. Anything that's bad in linear history, they want to get rid of it. That which is not bad from history, at least from their perspective, they want to replicate it. They want to make it more and more. And what they find is simply that linear history just repeats itself. And so they live without God and they live without hope. But the Christian, you and I are different, or at least we ought to be. We're different. Why? Because we know the time. We don't know the specific day. We don't know the specific hour, but we know the time. We know the time. We know that we are living in the time before the immediate return of Christ. We know that. And I believe that this is the very reason, or one of the very reasons, I guess I could say, that God has not told us the time and day of Christ's return. 
Because just knowing that it's immediate, just knowing that it could happen at any moment, at any time, we ought to be, that ought to be for us the greatest motivator for proper Christian living. Not knowing when Christ returns in the exact hour and the exact day ought to be the very motivator to us to live as we ought to live. Listen, if the greatest event of all time is to come at any time, a time when the hour and day no one knows, and we Christians have intimate knowledge of that redemptive event in the ultimate redemptive time frame and plan of God, then how should we be living right now? That's the question that we ought to have on our minds as we look at this text. How are we to be living right now? Because you see, Paul is saying to us, Offer yourselves as willing, selfless people to the will of God in your life and do it because you know the time. Do this, he says, knowing the time. Do this knowing time. You know as a Christian that Christ is coming back. And it is at any time. Now notice how Paul puts this in the final section. Do this knowing the time that it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. I hope you notice as I read that, that the, the terms that Paul uses to describe how it is that some are living. He uses metaphorical terms that describe a spiritual lethargy, if you will. He says it's already the hour to awaken from sleep. It's already the hour to awaken from sleep. He's not talking about physical sleep. He's not talking about us waking up in the morning on a, on a day where the, the sun rises. He's not talking about that. He's not even referring to the idea of physical death as being sleep, as we've seen other places in Scripture that death is referred to in some ways as sleep. Even Jesus said he, he's not dead, he's asleep, speaking of Lazarus. No, that's not what, what's being referred to here by the Apostle Paul. What he's referring to is a spiritual stupor. A spiritual lethargy, if you if you will. Now, let me ask us this question just to get us thinking about this idea. How alert are you when you are asleep? How alert are you when you're asleep? When you're physically asleep, you aren't thinking about what's happening around you. You're not conscious to the events and to, to what you might even be doing at any given moment. You are asleep. You are, in essence, unconscious to the moment. Now, there are some people who walk in their sleep. They don't even remember anything about what they did. In fact, we in 
our country and in the modern world in which we live, we are thankful that through the advent of modern medicine, the surgeon puts us to sleep when they begin to cut us open. Why? So that we have no memory. We do not think of it. We're not conscious to it. We're, we're lethargic to it. We're, we're, it's unknown to us, right? We're physically incoherent. Part of the trouble with us as Christians is that many of us live our Christian lives in a state of spiritual incoherence. We live our lives, we carry out our days spiritually lethargic to the reality of what Paul is talking about right here. We go throughout our lives not knowing that what God requires. We go through our lives not studying the Word of God, not not having our minds renovated so we don't know what God requires. We go about thinking that we're doing what God requires when in fact we may not be doing it at all. We're not practicing the truth. Why? Because we're spiritually asleep. We're living in a state of spiritual stupor. And in fact, in that state, we're actually denying the truth concerning the return of Christ. We're going about life, living any way we want, doing whatever we want, because we don't know what God requires. We have left ourselves in a spiritual stupor, and in that spiritual stupor, we're actually denying the very thing that we are to know that Christ's return is imminent. We often live as if we do know the exact time of day of Christ's return. And when it gets close, then we'll start acting like Christians. We've convinced ourselves that there'll come a day when I can do what God asks of me to do, but today I'll put it off. I'll get to it tomorrow. For now, I'm too interested in the things of the world. For now, I'm too consumed with ensuring that I have all the details of this life cared for. For now, I'm ensuring that my family has all the right things, that that all the people that I know have the right careers, that they have enough money, that they live in the best neighborhoods. And I... I can fit some Christian activity in my life when it's convenient, then that helps too. I'll pray when difficulty in my life causes life to kind of get in a in a, a bump in the road, if you will, a pothole in my Christian life. I'll go to God with prayer, but most of the time, my thoughts of God and living for Him are just put on the shelf. Why? Because the day the time of Christ's return, the day that Paul is talking about here is still far off. At least that's where I've relegated it. Somewhere far off, somewhere in the distance, somewhere in the future, somewhere in a linear thought about time, somewhere in a linear thinking about God's ultimate redemptive plan. And in fact, if I'm honest, that's exactly where I want it to be. Sadly, We're just like those in 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to go there for a moment because I just want to examine this uh, as we begin to look at this, 2 Peter chapter 3, because this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying 
in Romans chapter 13. Second Peter chapter 3, Peter says this, speaking to believers. He said, now this, know this, beloved, this is the second letter I'm writing to you in which I want to stir you up by sincere way, by way of reminder. In other words, this is something you know, this is something you should, should be uh, uh, thinking about and meditating on. You know these things, but I'm going to remind you of them again. You should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. In other words, these are this is teaching you've heard. Know this, verse 3. Know this first of all. Then in the last days, mockers are going to come with mocking. They're going to follow after their own lusts and say, Where is the promise of his coming? That's the kind of world we live in. The world doesn't, uh, sure, they've heard us talk about the return of Jesus Christ. They've heard us talk about the resurrection. They've heard us talk about the things of God and the things of Jesus. Jesus is coming back, and yet they sit back and go, yeah, really? You've said that a thousand times. Jesus left the earth 2,000 years ago, if that's true at all, they say. And here we are. When's he coming back? That's their mocking. Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it has from the beginning of creation. Listen, nothing has ever changed. It's all the same. You say Jesus is coming back. Really? When they maintain this, verse 5, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago, and earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. It escapes their notice that while, yes, it's been a long time, but do you remember the past? Do you remember what God has done in the past? Oh, sure, our world relegates that to nonsense. It's just myth. It's mythological. And yet we know it to be true. It was destroyed with water. The flood happened. But, Peter says, the present heavens, that which we live in now, the present earth, by his word, is being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But don't let this one fact escape your notice, that with the Lord one day as is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Listen, this is what we ought to think about when we think about those words. God doesn't view time like we do. God is outside of time. With God, he sees the beginning and the end all as one. And so here is God looking at his redemptive plan, and it is a one-day deal. It is, it is a done deal. A thousand years go by, it doesn't really matter. It's like one day. And the Lord's not slow about his promise. He's saving those whom he's going to save. That's what he's really saying here in verse 9. Some count slowness. God doesn't count like you count. God doesn't look at things like you look at things. That's like Isaiah 55. His ways are not our ways. He's patient toward you. God is saving, saving those. He wants you to come to repentance. But don't forget the day of the Lord, verse 10, will come like a thief. It's going to come like a thief. You're, you're not prepared for that. You, thief breaks in, takes. You, you, you don't expect it. It's an unexpected reality. 
going to come like that in which the heavens are going to pass away with a roar. The elements are going to be destroyed with intense heat. The earth and its works will be burned up. And then notice what he says in verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, since we know that's true, since Jesus said not one word will pass away without being fulfilled, since all of that is true, since these things are to be like that, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? You see, Peter's saying the same thing that Paul's saying. Since you know the time, since you know the day, since you realize the fact that Christ can come and he's coming at any moment, what kind of people ought you be? As you look, verse 12, for the hastening of the coming day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. He says, therefore, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, do you see that? Since you look for these, there's the motivator. There's the motivator for how you're to be living. Since you look for those things, be diligent to be found in Him or by Him in peace, spotless and blameless. You see, that's the motivator. That's what Peter is saying. It's the same thing Paul is saying in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. Do this. Do what? Live out your Christian life. Live in Christian obedience to the things of God in light of knowing that the day of Christ is coming at any moment. See, when we don't live like that, we are saying, in essence, we know the time. We know the day. We know the hour. And we make Paul and Christ, most importantly, a liar. Because they said, no, you don't. And so Paul says, listen, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. The hour is for you to awaken from sleep is already here. It's time to stop being spiritually lethargic. It's time that all of us realize that our salvation is nearer today than when you first believed. By the way, when Paul says salvation... We we can't get in our minds the idea that he's speaking about getting saved. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about justification there. Someone believing on Jesus Christ, whereby God is justifying them through the sacrifice of Christ, through the imputation of their sin to Christ and the imputation of his righteousness to them. He's not talking about justification. What he's talking about is glorification. Our glorification as Christians. Our ultimate salvation, the time when we'll be in the presence of God, when we will see him as he is. That's, that's what Paul's talking about here. The time of that salvation is nearer than when you believed. You realize that? You realize the time that we are in, that you and I live in today? Do you realize we live... You and I personally, right here, right now, in the 21st century, the year 2020, we live closer to the coming of Christ today than any person has ever lived in the history of the world before. 
You and I today, right now, this morning, right here, are living closer to the coming of Christ right now than we ever have lived before. That's why Paul goes on to say, verse 12, the night is almost gone. The day is at hand. Continues this metaphor, sleep and awake, night and day, night and day. This is so important for us to know. This is so important for us to to comprehend because even though we are Christians, even though you and I believe upon Jesus Christ as our Savior, we may not realize just how much our thinking is governed by the prevailing notions of the world around us. I... I was preparing for our time this morning, and I was thinking about that idea the other day as I was listening to our own country and it talking about the difficulties that all of us are having to go through because of this current pandemic. I was listening to them, and as I was listening to it, I actually found myself and realized this is because of my study here. I found myself beginning to agree with what they were saying. I found myself thinking that life is actually difficult. And I went, why? Why am I thinking like that? Because life's activities before this current pandemic were relatively free from having to stay at home. I had some kind of autonomous freedom where I could go about and do whatever it was I decided to do. Now I have to plan. Now I have to plan when I go and get groceries. Now I have to plan even more than I did previously to plan for that because of new rules that are put in place. Now the conveniences of previous days are no longer there. I begin to think, really? Really? Is that now how I define what is difficult? Is that how my mind is simply being shaped by how the world thinks? It's true. There have certainly been times in this world when people have had to endure some horrific circumstances. We certainly know the horrors of the Jews in World War II. We know the horrors of many throughout the history of our world, especially when you read in the Old Testament, you can read of the horrific realities that took place that God allowed. And certainly I would never want to undermine the emotional pain that many are experiencing through the loss of even loved ones in our current moment. But relatively few of us in this country have seen nor had to endure real hardship. In fact, most could say, isn't life great? Especially in comparison to what it will be when Christ comes to judge this world. Because we know the time, we have a different view. We have a different view. Listen, this world is darkness. This world is darkness. And that's the the definition of this world, even in its best days. Even in its best days, this world is darkness. Of course, that is not how the non-Christian world sees it. 
They don't see it as darkness. They see it as bad now, linear history. They see it as we're going through this bad moment. And the intent of that view is that one day it will return to the previous ease that they had before. The ease that was before the trouble came. A world without a pandemic. A world without a pandemic to the non-Christian world is a world of light. But not to us. Even the best of our world is still a place of darkness. It's a place of sin. No matter how good it may look. In fact, back in chapter 8, the Apostle Paul even described it this way. He said, and not only this, chapter 8, verse 23, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. He's talking about salvation. We who know Christ, who've been saved by Christ, we who have this first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. We groan, waiting eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. You see, that's the same truth of chapter 13. It's just put in a different way. In other words, we don't live and we don't think and we don't settle into life here as if this is life, as if this is the ultimate place, as if this is the place where we are to be. No, this is a place of groaning. This is a place of darkness. You mean? Let me ask another question this morning. Just on a practical level, why, why, we, we just went through Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Why, why do we need governments? Some of you might say we don't. We don't need governments. But, but God has instilled them. Why, why do we need governments? Why do we need law enforcement? Why do, why do we need civil rules within society? It's not because the world is light, but rather because the world is darkness. God has set those in place because of the nature of this life, the nature of the world, because of the way in which people of sin live. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we hear these words from the Apostle Paul. This isn't just the teaching of the Apostle Paul, by the way. It's in a whole lot of different places in Scripture. For example, John chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, speaking to the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus. And he says to Nicodemus in chapter 3, verse 19 of John's gospel, and this is the condemnation. What is? What's the condemnation, Jesus? That light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. There's the condemnation. Light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil, it says. Because their deeds are evil. Jesus comes into the world, and men want nothing to do with him. Why? Because they're unlike him in every way. He is light. The world is darkness. Again, John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus proclaims in the midst of humanity as he is ministering, 
I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This contrast between the realm of Jesus Christ and the realm of the world. I think one of the best and clearest statements of all in Scripture declaring this complete difference between light and dark is found in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Just listen, I'll just read this and you can follow along and, and hear what it says. Beginning in verse 3, we give thanks to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the brothers and sisters in Colossae. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, you see their view is on a eschatology, a view of future things or last things, this ultimate plan of God. Right, you, you have this hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit, increasing even as it is doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved bondservant who is faithful servant of Christ on your behalf, on our behalf. And he has also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So for this reason also, not only your faith, hope, and love, but but for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we haven't ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who qualified us, get this, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, how did we get there? We are sharing in the inheritance of the saints in light, not in darkness, in light. Why? Because verse 13, he delivered us from the domain of darkness. He delivered us from darkness into this inheritance of the saints in light. He transferred us, verse 13, to the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus said, I am the light. We're in the kingdom of light in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I don't think there's any clearer statement of the maximum difference between the Christian realm and the world. It is a realm of light. The world is a realm of darkness, even on its best day. Peter says similar things in 1 Peter 2. The Apostle John declares the same truth in his epistles, 1 John chapter 1 and chapter 2. The whole of New Testament is filled with that kind of teaching, putting salvation explicitly in terms of this contrast between darkness and light, night and day. 
And so this whole doctrine of the deliverance from darkness, so that we now live in the light, it's all over the New Testament. So back here in chapter 13 of Romans in verse 12, Paul assumes once again that because it is so clear, because it's it's part and parcel to our very Christianity, and that we know this, that we ought to be, that ought to be our view of life in this world. Life in this world is a life of darkness. Now, someone might be asking, but what does Paul mean explicitly? Now, that sounds like the general description, but what does Paul mean explicitly when he says darkness or when he uses the term night as he does in verse 12? Well, explicitly he means the ultimate position of humanity outside of Christ, right? We have been brought into this inheritance of the saints in light. This is a whole different realm. Those who are outside of that position, that is the position of humanity in general outside of Christ. In fact, this is how the Apostle Paul puts it to the Ephesian believers. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 20, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, to greediness, to the practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. You see, don't live like the unchristian around you. That's what Paul's saying. Don't live like the unchristian person around you, like the world around you, like darkness around you. You're a Christian. Don't live as you used to live. Why? Because you used to live like them. They lived in the futility of their minds. They, they are darkened in their understanding. In other words, they don't know the time. You do. They don't know the time. They're alienated from the life of God, Paul said. Why? Because of the ignorance that's due to their hard hearts. They have a hard heart. They don't want to have anything to do with God. And like Romans 1 said, they neither thank him nor pursue him in any kind of way. That's their position. They are callous because of that. They practice sensuality in every way. They're greedy with every kind of impurity. But Paul says here in Romans, you know differently. Do this knowing the time. You know differently. You didn't learn Christ like that. You see, in Ephesians 4, Paul's describing the world in its brightest terms. Those are the brightest terms that he can use to describe the world. Words like futile, dark, alienated, ignorant, callous, impure in every way. Those are the brightest terms that we can use for the world. It is a dark place. The world doesn't understand God. 
They don't even understand humanity. They don't understand the whole purpose of life and the whole purpose of living. They don't understand death. The whole world of the non-Christian simply collapses into final darkness. The world would not go on living as it does if it knew anything, anything at all about the actual judgment to come. If the world knew of the judgment to come, if they acknowledged that as reality, they would not live as they do. Paul says, but you do know. You do know. And so humanity is not simply darkened intellectually. Humanity is not simply darkened morally. They are in the darkness of hopelessness. They are hopeless because they're held captive through the fear of death. See, in death, they're left with nothing. And therefore, they hate death and they want to avoid death. Everybody works in our world to stay young and to look young. To even speak of death is thought to be morbid. And yet, by God's providence, here we are. Here we are in this moment in the linear history of His providence. Today, death is thrust into our eyes, into our ears at every moment. You can't turn on the TV, you can't open a newspaper, you can't turn on the radio without death being spoken of. And unsaved mankind is in utter hopelessness of how to stop its arrival. Because only darkness awaits them. They do not know Jesus Christ. This is the teaching that the Apostle Paul is placing before us who are Christians. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying to us here. The world thinks that they are enlightened. The Bible looks upon this world and the Bible exhorts us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior to see it for what it is. It's night. It's darkness. And we know this. We know this. We understand the character of the world. And therefore, we are never to rely upon the culture around us. We're never to rest in how great it seems to be here. It's not as though we're, we're, we ignore what's happening. Certainly, that, that, that's not how God would have us live. We're not just simply out there sticking our heads in the sand like the ostrich and, and saying it'll all go away at some point and we just ignore what's happening. All of this isn't useless for us, but it certainly is subordinate to that which is of the truth. In other words, as Christians, we know the world's limits. We belong to the light. We realize that we are, as Peter said, aliens and strangers in this world. In this world, we groan to be in our true home. We remember that in this world, we have, as Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, we have tribulation. But take heart. Why? Because we are not of this world. We're not of this world. When we look at this world, what we see is a dark and doomed place. It's a condemned place. 
It's a place that is under the wrath of God. And all of the efforts of the politicians will never change that. They'll never be able to change the reality that in the ultimate plan of God and the redemptive plan of God, this world is awaiting a day of destruction. Listen, here's, here's probably one of the most important things about all that. None of that depresses us. As Christians, none of that depresses us. People hear that kind of news, they go, oh, you can't say that, you can't talk like that, that's so depressing for everybody. You have to give uplifting tunes. I was listening to a psychologist on TV the other day who was saying, we just need to get people to think about about good things. They treat others in loving kind of ways. They need to treat themselves in a loving kind of way. They they need to have some positive thinking for themselves, as if that's going to do something. Listen, the world is a doomed place, but that doesn't depress the Christian. Why? Because we know. We know that we belong to a city not made with hands. We know that our city is secure in the glories of heaven where Christ is at the right hand of the Father. And so we don't settle down here. We don't settle down here. We don't get comfortable here. We live differently because we know the time in which we live We know that Christ is coming. He's coming at any time. We know the state of this world in which we live. And so knowing that, we redeem the time. We saw last time. We redeem the time. We live today as we ought to live because we see and know the return of Christ is preeminent. Coming. We redeem the time. And in redeeming the time, secondly then, we put off the flesh. We put off the flesh. And I I, want to just read this for us this morning because we're we're actually out of time. But uh, I was hoping to get to this, but it was necessary, obviously, to say what we've said already. But I want to read this for us this morning and, and just have it in our hearts and our minds as we think about this week to come. Notice what the Apostle Paul says at the end of verse 12 through 13. He says, let us, therefore, lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing, drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Don't you find it interesting that Paul assumes that we know that Christ is coming imminently? Uh, Don't you find that interesting? He he, he says, do this knowing the time. That's the reality of knowing that we live in the time where Christ could come at any moment. We we know that. That's an assumption that that we can make as Christians. We, We should know that. And he assumes that we as Christians are doing, sadly, worldly things. As he says, lay aside the deeds of darkness. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness. In other words, get rid of that life. Get rid of that life in light of what you know. Put on the armor of light. We're going to get into more of that next time. It it, it should conjure up in your minds a similar text in Ephesians chapter 6 about putting on the armor of God. Put on the armor of light. 
Eh, get rid of your old life. You're, you're doing that. You're doing those things. Some of us are thinking like the world. Some of us are acting like the world. Some of us are doing things. I mean, caught in this whole idea that, that, that when things get better, things are really going to be better. Not understanding the world is a place of darkness. We need to get rid of that. Have our minds renewed. Get rid of that kind of life and put on the armor of light. Uh, as we... We close our time this morning. Let me let me just ask you this question. Are you living as a living sacrifice? Because you know that Christ is coming at any time. Are you living as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship, because you know that Christ is coming at any moment, and that you desire to be found before him blameless, blameless when he comes. If not, then I encourage you this week, read the put off and put on passages of Scripture. Spend time in Scripture looking at those passages that says, put this off, put this on. And with that in mind, see if you begin to adjust how it is you behave in your Christian life. Think through those things. Think through those passages from Romans chapter 13. Get your concordance out. Get, get your, your, your books out. Open the Bible. Look at the put off, put on passages and see when you begin to do that, if things start to look different in your life by way of your behavior. Because we know this. We know that when Christ comes, Though we are secure in Christ and though we cannot ever lose our salvation, Paul said that, remember, in chapter 8, verse 31, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Even though we are secure in Christ, we know that when Christ comes, our deeds will still be judged. Our deeds on this earth as we live for Christ will be judged. We are going to be judged for what we do. And the question is, are we ready without shame. Are we ready without shame? Are we ready for his coming? In fact, are we wanting his coming? Are we wanting his coming? We ought to be living in light of that reality. We'll get more of that next time. Let's bow for a word of prayer and we'll end our time this morning. Heavenly Father, once again, we say thank you to you for this realization in our own heart that our view of time and how we see life here may not actually be how we have been seeing it. And we haven't really viewed your coming as an imminent reality, and therefore our lives kind of go on just as they always have, much like the world and unlike what you would have. We have faced disappointments and discouragements, not because you're not a God of loving care and your providence in our life isn't caring for us, but simply because we have viewed this world as a place of light rather than a place of darkness. We have lived not as children of light in the inheritance that we have been given, 
with a view to the coming of our Savior, that we might be with you forever, but we have lived more so in view of life here. Living in such a way that we have really, in, reg- in many ways, said, we know the time. We'll get to obedience when that time comes close. Father, forgive us for living like that. Forgive us for thinking about life in those terms. Help us to remember to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Have our eyes fixed on the hope to come, or it may be in this very moment. And Lord, if you tarry long, may we continually live every day in that very anticipation that you will come at any moment. No one knows the day or the hour. And so, Lord, we can say honestly in our own hearts when we think like that, please, Lord, come. Please come. Come quickly. Lord, help us in view of that to live for you each moment of every day. Let that be the ultimate motivator in our life so that we would live this day for your glory and your honor. We pray these things because of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.